Hello, and welcome to the Kingdom Corner Podcast, where you can propel your faith into even deeper levels as we discuss how to live the kingdom culture on earth as it is in heaven, just as Jesus prayed. Here's your host, the great Matt Geib. And they'll know we are Christians by our love, by our love. Yes, they'll know we are Christians by our love. For we will walk with each other. We will walk hand in hand. We will walk with each other. We will walk hand in hand. And we'll pray that our unity will one day be restored and they'll know we are Christians by our love by our love yes they'll know we are Christians by our love and they'll know we are Christians by our love amen and amen the great Matt guy here with you once again from the Kingdom Corner podcast out here in sunny, cool Washington State. And I'm coming to you with a brand new episode from Philippians today. Uh, And maybe you caught it from the song, but today we're going to talk about unity. We're going to talk about rallying around unity, in fact. Just have to find my notes. But let me first, before I get into my notes, let's just first... Pray about this this meeting today. Pray about this episode. Father, just take the words that I speak, the thoughts that I share, the scriptures that I dissect, and speak to your people, Lord. Speak to them about unity and harmony and peace and righteousness, Lord. Um, you put these things on their hearts and minds that you want to share with them, Lord. Let it be your words and not my words. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen and amen. So, good day. We are in, I believe this is about the third episode now uh, of Philippians. We're going through the book of Philippians. Uh, The Primer of Joy. How to have joy? Read the book of Philippians. And uh, it's all throughout the book, Rejoicing and Joy. Uh, Last week we talked about um, even persevering and rejoicing in adversity. And this week we're going to talk about rallying around unity. Rallying around unity. I want to read the text. Uh, We are on verse 27 of chapter 1. uh, Verse 27 of chapter 1. Only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ, that whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs, 
that ye stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel, and in nothing terrified by your adversaries, which is to them an evident token of perdition, but to you of salvation and that of God. For unto you it is given in the behalf, or on the behalf of Christ, not only to believe of him, but also to suffer for his sake, having the same conflict which you saw in me, and now here to be in me. We're going actually through chapter 2 and verse 4. If there be any consolation, chapter 2 verse 1, in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies, fulfill ye my joy, that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord and of one mind. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. And look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. That's the reading of, of the text that I want to get through on this lesson. I think with, with what I have on my heart, we might be here a couple weeks. We're going to talk about rallying around unity. Um, God's Word always has something to say to us, no matter what we read, if we're open to the Spirit of God. And yet I feel like there's some words uh, that God shares with us. Maybe it's the season and time we're in. Maybe it's a rhema word for that moment. I think this is a rhema word today. I think it's a very important word. I think this is a word that's sometimes more important than some of the other words. Not that any words that we share from God's Word are unimportant. Um, we are talking about rallying around unity. And this is, this is where we're going to really get into some rubber-meet-the-road principles. The, the church of Philippi that uh, Paul was writing to as he was in house arrest in Rome was a very, very good church. They may have been his most favorite church, in fact, uh, because they, they were a pretty good church. They had very few problems, if any. They had one small problem. That's why we're going to talk about unity today. Um, they, were, they were the opposite, we could say, of the church at Corinth, because the church at Corinth really had a lot of problems. I think there was a, a man living in, in sin with uh, his, his son's wife. Um, there was all kind of strife there. People would come to the breaking of the bread, that, that um, you know, dinner, and they would be drunk. Um, they, at first, were contesting against Paul, wondering whether he was to really be their apostle. He had to put in a lot of work f with them and for them, you know, to bring them to the place that they needed to be. Uh, they had to learn how to exercise the, the gifts of the Spirit properly. Um, we're all having to learn that, aren't we? Um, and so that was a real contrast to this church. Um, this church was possibly led by uh, Ephroditus. He was probably the pastor there. He had brought to Paul there in jail in Rome. See, they were in Philippi, which was, um, you know, a satellite, you could say, of Rome's empire. And he would come and he would bring uh, to uh, Brother Paul there under house arrest, different. He, they would bring things to meet his need, whether it was food or clothing and also monetary support. Because even under house arrest, he needed some monetary support. And he didn't always let everybody support him because, um, you know, there, there could be some problems with that with various people, people taking it wrong, people in the various churches uh, out among the community that, you know, like 
a lot of false teachers, that's what they did. They took advantage. And, and so um, he didn't ever want to do that. But he did receive, um, he did receive um, support from the Philippian church. They were very, very much loved by him. <clears throat> so there was a small issue beginning to occur here that Paul was going to start to address, and it basically involved um, two ladies, Eudea or Eudaya and Syntyche. Eudaya and Syntyche. And we'll get into this more specifically in chapter 4. And one, one minister called them odious and soon touchy because he, he's thinking of different conflicts that come up among people in church, and some people seem pretty odious, you know, the way they act, soon touchy, they're pretty defensive, hard to get along with. We've, we've all, if you've been in church much uh, as a Christian, you've probably all unfortunately seen some of that, hopefully not too much. Um, these ladies had come into conflict with each other. Uh, some, some, of, um, some of the commentators say that they were Nobody knows for sure what the conflict really was, but some speculate that they were soloists that had got into kind of a, a competitive match with each other over their singing, you know. But uh, suffice it to say, I just want to say here, when we're looking at unity and oneness in the church, schism or division in the church is one of the worst sins. And God just really, it really breaks his heart. He's really, you know, against that. Um, you know, this was a small problem starting out. You know, you maybe heard the Michael Jackson song from the 70s, one small apple don't spoil the whole bunch. But that's not true. If you've ever picked apples like I have back in the Midwest, you know, in a bucket and you got one and you don't even know it's kind of starting to, to rot a little bit. If you leave those other apples in there, even for half a day, it'll begin to... Uh, spread its rot to the rest of the apples, and this is what Paul was going to get at in this, in this, um, in in what he was going to share here. God is a God of order and unity and oneness. And when you look up that word, oneness or unity, uh, it means just what we think of. It's oneness. It's unity. It's working together. We see that further, uh, like in Ephesians 4 that Paul wrote, about the church working in unity to come together, you know, in the unity of the faith. Um, and I'm thinking of several examples. I just want to just kind of preach a, a little bit today uh, from this, this text. I want to read it again. Only, this is verse 27, Philippians 1.27. Let your conversation be as it becomes the gospel, or becometh the gospel, of Christ, that whether I come and see you or be absent, I may hear of your affairs, that ye stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. So important, unity, striving together to stand in one spirit, to be in harmony. Um, and I'm just going to give you some examples that I thought of uh, with this lesson today. Uh, there was a great man, a great deliverer that we all know of named Moses. He led a million people out of uh, bondage in Egypt. And, you know, it just got to be too much for him. So what did they do? Uh, God directed him and Aaron to, to have 70 men come together to elder the flock. And they would be like elders under Moses and Aaron. And they began to elder the people. They began to direct the people. The 70 men would work with different groups. But lo and behold, there's two guys that 
uh, weren't too pleased with that. You can read about it in number 16. Uh, you remember the story of Korah and Dathan. You know, and on top of that, um, their party that came to confront Moses, they didn't like how he was running things, he and Aaron, um, under them were what the Bible calls 250 princes of the assembly of renown, princes or men of renown. That's what the um, King James Version says. So they were well-known men, these 250 men, men of renown, re renowned by the whole, you know, the whole company of the Israelites. So these were men of stature, and they were also with Korah and Dathan. And yet, you know what happened, you know the story, that God was so displeased with that, a fire and an earthquake came up, and it just devoured all those people, men of renown that got on the wrong side of this issue, that weren't working together with their leader. And also, you go on and you read in that passage, 1,400 died of, of, that, of those, probably their families died, um, were taken out by a plague. Unity to God is a serious, serious thing. Um, how about the fellow that touched the ark? You know, I, I didn't read that, but I thought of it today. Um, you know, they were trying to do the right thing. David was bringing the ark back to... Um, Jerusalem, you know, from the Philistine camp, and they were all dancing and rejoicing. They were bringing on a cart, which was the wrong thing to do anyway, and it began to fall off, and the one guy leaned over and touched the ark, and he was struck dead. You know, the ark was a sacred thing. It represented the presence of God, and he touched it, you know, in his flesh, and God struck him dead. Unity is very serious. Another thought I thought of, another, another, and this is in the New Covenant even, uh, after Jesus resurrected, after the Holy Spirit was poured out on Pentecost through Peter's message and 3,000 were added to the church, I'm thinking of Ananias and Sapphira. In, uh, and you can read about it in Acts. I don't have the, the address fully here, but you can look it up. 3,000 folks were added to the church. Uh, many were filled with the Holy Ghost. Miracles were just prevalent among the group. I'm sure there was persecution, and yet the church continued to grow, and they would go from house to house breaking bread, uh, and, and God was bringing them together, fusing them together uh, as one, and fellowship, you know, uh, and bringing them together. The Word was being taught every day as well, and, and preparing them, I believe, to evangelize the whole world. Uh, and what happened? Uh, people started to give into this ministry and uh, sell things that they had and give extra money uh, so the word could go forth, so the church could be established. So here come Ananias and Sapphira. And, uh, you know, they sold their land. Um, they made a kind of agreement with themselves, you know, in secret. Yeah, we'll say that we gave it all, but we'll hold so much back. And what, what happened? What happened? You know, uh, Peter had a word of wisdom, a word of knowledge, a word of knowledge, I'd say. And, you know, he called him out and said, you didn't give everything, you know. It would have been all right if they'd have, they'd have said, well, we sold it and we kept some of it and we're giving you this. They wouldn't have, Peter wouldn't have cared. He would have accepted it gladly. But because they lied, God struck them dead. Uh, I think unity and oneness, I put down in my notes here, is so important because it pretends in the people of God, in the corporate gathering of God's people that are striving together, contending together to become one, it portends of authenticity, humility. See these, 
the Ananias and Sapphira definitely weren't humble, were they? Uh, intimacy with God and vulnerability. And they were, they were covering up. I don't know if it was so much that they lied as much as they just covered up and they weren't real. You know what I mean? Um, God, God hates, hates it when his people are not in unity. You know, when they try to cover up. Um, this was an attack against unity in the church. The devil was trying to get in, I believe. You know, real unity, uh, real striving together to be one and stand in one spirit um, takes time. And sometimes when we're together with the rest of the church body, we've been there, you know, we spent some time in that God's church, God's body that locally that he's called us to. There might be some hurt, and it might take time to really be come and gel together as one body. It doesn't happen overnight. A football team that's a championship football team does not just get together one day when nobody's played together and, you know, in one or two games or one season become a championship team. doesn't usually happen that way. Uh, Ephesians 2 talks about the whole uh, body is fitly joined together, you know, and, and sometimes that's not a smooth fit, is it? I mean, we rub edges off of each other. You know, iron sharpens iron. Uh, 1 Corinthians 12, I thought of, you know, as talking about the body coming together and all of us fulfilling what we're called to do and bring to the body what is needed. Uh, you know, one is a foot, one is a hand, one is, might be the nose, one might be the leg, but does the foot say to the hand, I don't need you? You know, I can do it all? No doesn't work that way. We need to work together. Um, I wanted to read a passage to you um, in John. I'm going to turn to John now, uh, 1721, that really highlights this for us, really highlights this. John 1721, and it's um, uh, Jesus' prayer. It's um, the night before he went on the cross. It's the, uh, his great prayer of intercession uh, I have to just turn to it here. Matthew, Mark. We're going to go to John. And we're going to read about how important this is, what it means to really be one. John 17. Whoops. We're almost there. And this was Jesus' intercessory prayer for his disciples and actually for us. And this is what he said in verse 21, John 17, 21, that they all may be one, as thou, Father, art in me, and I in thee. You see, Jesus and the Father were one, right? That they may also be one in us, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. And the glory which thou gavest me, verse 22, I have given them that they may be one even as we are one. So important. Jesus and his Father were one. You know, He didn't do anything unless he heard from the Father. And he wants us to be one. Uh, he wants to be one with the church and us one with him, right? Um, the glory was given that they may be one. Let's go over again. Uh, we'll flip over. I want to flip over to Ephesians 4. I love this book. Maybe my favorite epistle in the New Testament, Ephesians chapter 4. And let's read there about um, some more 
oneness in the church. Ephesians 4.11, he gave some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, some teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all, what happens? Why did he give it? For what reason? To perfect and edify the body of the faith. Till when? Till we all come into the unity, the oneness, the togetherness of the faith, right? And of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect, complete man, under the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. See, he gave these ministries. He gave apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher. He gave those offices which he flows through. Why? So the church could become one. Uh, right? So the church could become one. That's why we have the offices in the church. Not so they can do it all. So they come together and they uh, begin to teach the people of God. And it's not that one is greater than the other. You know, apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher. I believe they take turns in stepping forward when they are needed to lead the body of Christ. And it reminded me of when uh, back here on my house, the back of my house, uh, five years ago, we built an apartment on there for my mother, and all these workers came out here to build it, and yet each group, there were plumbers, there were roofers, um, there were the carpenters, um, all these different groups, electricians, you know, it wasn't a big apartment, yet they all had a supervisor that would come out and direct the work. He didn't necessarily do the work. But they didn't, the supervisor. Sometimes they'd do a little work to show the workers what to do. Then they would um, stand back and let the workers do it, or even go away and let the workers do it, and then come back and check. And that's what we're talking about. That's a perfect word picture of what God wants to do through these offices. It's not these guys, apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher, they're not going to do all the work. It's the saints and the and the you know, the saints within the church that are going to do the work as directed by those offices, right? Just like, you know, the supervisors that came out when my mom's apartment was being built, they didn't do the work. They just taught people how to do it and directed them in it. That's what we're looking for. And, and you know, the best way to do that is you teach somebody and then you let them do it. You don't, you don't overmanage or stand over their shoulder. You know, you've got to give them some freedom to do it. And that's what God is doing in his church, not overlords, not standing over everybody. Another word picture I thought of when we're talking about unity. I read a lot uh, in, in uh, historical books. You know, I, like, I love the Bible. I read the Bible. You know, I, I study and study the Bible. Uh, probably should read it more devotionally. You know, to be honest with you, uh, I also read books about the Bible. But the other thing I like is I like to read a lot of history. So I know a lot about uh, the Romans, the Greeks, the Spartans, and I would read about the great wars that they would go into, the Spartans, uh, which was the warring faction for the Greeks. How they, I think the Romans perfected it, they developed a, a, a battle formation called the Flanics, where all the soldiers would lock their shields together and uh, they, one on the right would protect the one on the left, and the left would protect the one on the right. They'd be locked to ba uh, together, and they'd have the shield up, and they, it would just be like a killing machine. They'd go, I think it was like the shape of maybe, um, you know, three corners there, you know, uh, rectangle, and they'd go forth that way. Uh, the, the guys, 
you know, they were well trained in that, and they didn't run off on their own to fight because, you know, from that formation because they'd be killed. But they all relied on each other. The guy on the right needed the guy on the left, and so forth and so on. And that took real unity and real practice to get that formation really flowing well and really staying strong. You know, and that, that's what I see the body of Christ, you know, as. You know, I've been reading, uh, recently I've been reading again, I have these books, books on my, in my library called God's Generals. And it's all about the great men and women, God, women of God that came on the scene since the church, uh, you know, since the, you know, the days of the apostles, you know. And uh, we get back into uh, some of the back volumes and they talk about the latter rain move of God, the 40s and 50s, when we had... A. E. Allen, uh, William Branham, um, Lester Summerall. These are some of the guys. Um, Oral Roberts, and they go around the country with big tents. That's how they did these revivals. They were miracle revivals, tent revivals. People would be spirit-filled. Uh, miracles, many miracles would be done. You know, people healed of broken bones and uh, you know, a disease that was you know you know, cancer that they had no hope to be healed of. And God used these men greatly. And yet when I read in the book, I have to laugh because these guys, they still had not crucified the one area, I'd call it an area of pride in their life, because um, they always had to have the biggest tent, one, one evangelist over another. If A.E. Allen supposedly had a bigger tent than Lester Summerall, Lester Summerall might go out and buy a bigger tent because they didn't want to be outdone in that area. Um, you know, they, they were in the flesh, and yet God was still using them, you know. I mean, we're not, we're not immune from that ourselves, you know. And that kind of thing can take away from unity. I love the scripture where it talks about Psalm 133, you know, that the unity was like being together in unity, being together with your brethren was like the oil that ran down Aaron's beard, and it commanded the blessing, the oil of blessing. And I was thinking of that word picture too, you know. God is making the living temple, uh, living breathing, I call it quickening temple. God gave me a message on that, a sermon on that, two-part message out of Ephesians 2 and Ephesians 4. And he's bringing that living temple together. You know, uh, first it's a picture there in Ephesians 2 of, um, of a building, and then it's a body. And they're being fitted together. And like I said, sometimes we rub each other the wrong way. We just need this oil of unity to come in. And then those, those different members of the body will slide together and come together as one more easily when we have that oil of unity, Psalm 133. Um, and then there's a the metaphor of marriage, you know. There's no, nothing that pretends to unity more than a man shall leave his mother, woman leave her home, and the two shall come together and become one, right? And then the bride of Christ in Christ. So we're talking about unity. Um, another scripture I've studied recently, in Ephesians 1, it talks a lot about, you know, there was enmity, there was hostility between the Jews and the Gentiles, but God brought them together into one new third nation, as it were, in peace. Um, when you have harmony, when you have unity, you have peace. You have the blessing of God. Um, uh, otherwise, if you don't have peace, you know, you don't have harmony. If you don't have 
harmony or unity, you don't have peace, is another way of saying it too. Wow, you know, God just wants us to be one, and he wants us to come together in the body of Christ and fulfill what gift he's given us. Uh, sometimes we may be called to be the quarterback or the running back and be the one that's out in the front, and other times we're just called to be in the back as that lineman clearing the way in our prayers and our intercession for the minister. You know, uh, sometimes, you know, we look at things so differently than... Um, than uh, so many people, you know, or I should say, yeah, we look at things so differently as people as to the way God sees them sometimes. And, you know, I sometimes when I think of uh, William Branham's, the example of William Branham and how he was so greatly used in healing, you know, years and years later they found out there was a older gentleman that was going around with him to every town he went to, and he'd find a place uh, in an attic or in a room off to the side, and he'd just intercede throughout all those meetings that William Branham had. And I'm thinking in God's eyes, maybe he ended up with more honor and more reward than William Branham because he interceded, you know, and he wasn't out in the forefront. So we're talking about unity today. We're talking about harmony. We're talking about striving together for unity and harmony uh, in the faith. I want to read this verse again. Only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ, that whether I come and see you or be absent, I may hear of your affairs, that ye stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving or contending together for the faith of the gospel. Okay. I think we're going to leave it there. I just, that's kind of the introduction to this uh these scriptures here, about eight verses uh, from uh, chapter 1, uh, verse 27 to, we're going to go down to 2, verse 3, and we'll take this up again the next time on the Kingdom Corner podcast, all about striving together for unity, and we're going to get into um, really some of the um, terms and words here and really dig deeper into how this looks and what this really means. So be blessed. Have a great rest of your day. Uh, to those that listen today, tomorrow, and in the future, I pray that these words have been a blessing to you. Thank you for joining us for another great discussion on The Kingdom Corner, hosted by Matt Geib. Remember to click the subscribe button so you can be notified of each new episode as it's released. To enjoy an even deeper dive into God's Word, check out Matt's new devotional book, Searching for Significance, a devotional journey through the book of Ecclesiastes. Learn more and even hear from Matt himself on the devotional website, significanceacademy.com. As always, thank you for being a part of the Kingdom Corner.